<laughs> this is so funny. This is like I was on 90 Day Fiance. I was like a the server for their last meal. And like, so I had to go down. Like it was On like, this television show? Yeah. <laughs> How do I not know this? When, <laughs> when did this happen? Um, it was probably like four years ago. Okay. And like At Chow? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they had the whole thing downstairs. And so I was like, yeah, fuck yeah. Because a girl that was supposed to do it was like, I don't want to be, I don't want to do that. And I was like, I fucking want to do that. So like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be on TV. <laughs> so I go downstairs and there's just like a wall of cameras. Right. And you have to act normal and just be like, Hey, I'm Amy. I'm your server. Have you guys been to chat before? And the minute that like the, all the cameras got on me, my voice just went. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, and I'm like shaking and I'm like, Oh my God, get yourself to fucking together. That's funny. So what happened to the episode? Are you in it? I'm, I'm, I haven't seen it. That was four years ago. Something it's like be that. Somewhere. Yeah, it's gotta be. Do you have any history of illness in your family? Yes. Um. So, I mean, I only know things because of my like paperwork. Like, I don't know anything for sure. But, um, my paternal grandfather or no my maternal grandfather and grandmother had died of heart attacks by the time my mom had me at 23 so they were in their early 50s when they died of heart disease Is heart disease more common back in the day yeah and i think that what from what she said that stress killed them there's the living part of it but there's also the like the um how they treat heart attacks, you know, like what they, what they've done, like the technology that they, they do, you know, mom worked at the heart Institute. So there was a lot, like, there's just a lot more cool things that they can do, you know? So a heart attack like that you, while you're having one. Yeah. Okay. So a heart attack that used to kill you, you know, they call them the widow makers or whatever are, you know, really not a thing anymore. Like you, they can totally save you from that because of like new medical science. They, they figured all that stuff out. So I think a lot of the heart attacks and a lot of things that they do preventatively just in medicine that they can stop that. So my, so mom has a um, aneurysm that killed both her brothers. She monitors it, but that like, that's. What does that mean? An aneurysm <laughs> that killed both her brothers. Um, so her brother was swimming in an aneurysm and her, his heart burst okay. and just, he was swimming super healthy, just gone. And then my other uncle just passed away like two months ago from an aneurysm as well. And he pretty much didn't watch it, didn't take care of it. But mom's been like on medication and they like, she has to go in and get MRIs every year to monitor it. And she kind of slips it in three days ago. (laughs) She said, by the way, it's gotten bigger, but it's really nothing to worry about. What is an aneurysm? Is it a physical thing? It... I don't, I should probably look it up, right? Since it's <laughs> something, it's a big deal. Well, if it's gotten bigger, that means it's got to be a thing you can locate, right? Yeah. So. And if it gets, so, I mean, the way she talks about it, sometimes do you ever just agree and act like you know what you're talking about and it like kind of overwhelms you. So you're like, oh yeah. And she's like, if it's more than five inches is what she says, then she has to get it op- operated on. And then I just agree with her. 
and file it way the fuck back where I'm not trying, like, trying to ignore it. And then... <laughs> Don't you feel like that's protection for ourselves, though? No, I mean, yeah, it's scary. If you really but wanted to dip down into that, like, <laughs> that part of it. I, I, I couldn't even use that as a defense. I think I just can't fucking remember. Like, I just don't. You know, like, random song lyrics, uh, the the first shot of a movie, uh, my mom going yeah. to hospital. So. Every frame of every movie and then no, no birthdays. <laughs> so, my name is Amy, A-M-E, according to me, A-M-Y, according to my birth certificate. My date of birth is to 20, 1975. Um, and my next of kin, I guess, would be Floyd, my son. Is that how it works? Is it son or is it partner? I don't know. <laughs> so I was born in Billings, Montana. And I was adopted on April 20th of 1975 to my mom Ann Anderson, and my dad, Dudley. Um, I lived in Missoula until fifth grade. I moved to Helena when I was 10. Lived some real hard, shitty years in Helena, Montana. Um, Moved back to Missoula, went to Big Sky High School, graduated in 93, I was a cheerleader. <laughs> I think that's important to know. I spent, I moved to um, Ohio for a boy in 93 and moved back to Missoula less than a year later. Ohio is an armpit. <laughs> and went to college, really loved, got a lit degree much, much later worked in the service industry, really, really loved that, got married not to the boy that I (laughs) moved to Ohio for after dating on and off for 20 plus years. And we have a beautiful son who I am now raising full time. And other than that, I'm just through the gaps really trying to learn what it is to be a human being fully. What have you learned about being a human being fully? What can, what can you teach us? Hmm. I think that it's really important to realize that it's not about, I mean, I just gave a whole synopsis of who I was by the towns I lived in, jobs that you held. But if I was to explain who I am, and who everybody should be a little bit is how all of those things made you feel and what your reactions were to that. I mean, I could tell you like how April 20th felt, you know, um, to a little, a, a small degree of being adopted. I, you know, and those are the kind of things that really teach you if you really stop to live your life. And be human is like, what does it all taste like? What does it smell like? You know, how, how are all those things combined? And taking the time to actually do that instead of being like, I have to hit A goal, B goal, and what it looks like outside when somebody's sitting there looking at your life versus when you look at it. 
what it you know what's important to you have you always known you were adopted yeah did that change anything about your life that someone who was not adopted might not have experienced other than the maybe not knowing but like did your life have to operate any differently or did you feel differently you know you could say i'm only this is only conjecture because i really have no idea what it feels like not to be adopted you know but from my own perspective like it never even occurred to me except to think that it was a superpower like from my mom because my mom was like you are adopted because we loved you and we wanted you you know and i don't know if all kids hear that from their parents but my mom was like we wanted you we like wished for you there was that hope and so to me it was like i you know i always knew that i was loved i never like questioned it because you know they didn't have me it wasn't a surprise i would you know that they had to go fill out paperwork pay money and make this effort to adopt me and so it always felt really good until you know the outside perspectives of other people and i would get teased about it especially if kids were like not happy in their family life i think that they would see you know me and you know i was a pretty happy kid just like i'm a pretty happy kid now and it was like that was a way to get me was to say oh but you're adopted and i'd be like oh i am it's great <laughs> but then i would you know go back and think oh you know is it not great is there something wrong and then you know as you get older those questions come up and i mean i could go through a whole diatribe i wrote a story about um what it was like to find family and then to realize a whole other i mean that changes everything <laughs> because then you start to what i mean i had never really had any issues until i was like a mom came in that was like a birth mom and then i'm a mom myself and that really brought up feelings where I hadn't had any before. I am a lot of stuff. I so my it's an interesting story. My grandfather is Mexican American, but he was also adopted into an entirely white family. So it was like he got it adopted through a white family and then I was adopted through a white family. So he's Mexican and indigenous and then whatever else he is, which they don't know. They're, like, in the process of starting to find some of my, like, great, great-grandparents. My grandma is, I think, Scottish and Irish. And then my mom's side, it, they're really old cattle people from the 1800s in Montana. But I also have a scientist that was from the Netherlands. But he moved... Is it the Netherlands? I don't know, close to Germany, became Germany. So what it shows up in my background is that I'm German, but I'm actually not. And the reason why my great-great-great-great-grandfather moved away is because he of Germ the Germans. <laughs> and so he moved here and ended up um, that he was a good, like he was friends with Darwin and be believed in evolution like in the very beginning. So like I have a lot of incendiary thinkers in my <laughs> in my lineage as well as irish you know mexican indigenous scottish a little netherlands british <laughs> do you identify with any of those backgrounds yeah which ones all of them i feel more mexican and irish than i do most anything else like i people would always talk 
speak to me in Spanish when I was places. Like, I'd be in New York City and people would say things to me and they'd speak to me in Spanish and I'd be like, no, I don't speak Spanish. And they'd be like, what are you then? And I was like, I never said I was Latina. I never said I was, you know, Hispanic. But I think that they knew before I knew. I am kind of coming into my own as far as spirituality goes and becoming more comfortable with it. But I think that spirituality is so large and enormous. Like the enormity of it is so hard for us to grasp that we create these deities so that it looks more comfortable to us. But I, for, I mean, I believe in spirit for sure. How do you go about investigating spiritualism? <laughs> this sounds so silly. Instagram actually has really informed me on some of the paths that I've started to take as far as um, my spirituality goes. I've always really been into tarot and astrology. And then I started to learn about being a bruja, being a witch. But witchcraft itself is like kind of just another prescribed religion to me. And so there's just a lot of things that are attractive about a lot of religions. And I like indigenous religions. And I learned about some really amazing tarot cards and divination cards and different um, deities that are Mesoamerican that I feel like when I sit and burn incense and like really commune that they kind of speak to me. I have some ancestors that are definitely present in my life right now. And um, they've kind of made themselves known to me. How are they present? <laughs> so I had an experience where I was meditating and I'm just calling forth, you know, those deities that that want to come out and help me with whatever problem I it's it's pretty complicated but I was going to be thinking and talking about something really traumatic that had happened to me and with uh, I have a life coach so we we're meditating getting ready to have a conversation about um, something really heavy and so we were calling in all of these spirits to protect me from so I was in a safe space to talk about it and I closed my eyes and I felt my hair being braided. It was like a grandmother spirit that was there with me. And I, I, I opened my eyes and I'm like, my grandma's here. Like great, great, great grandma. And those are the kind of things where you're like, I mean, I know that it's all there. What do you think happens to you when you die? <sighs> I think... That we, I mean, I believe in reincarnation. I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I think that we come back. I think that we live a lot of lives to figure things out. I think that <laughs> a lot of my things are going to sound kind of like weird and esoteric, but I feel like right now we're kind of on this path where people are starting to ascend to higher realms and so it's not all going to be earth-based but that a long a lot of of lifetimes everybody was living you know in 
I don't know, England shoveling poop or, you know, living in Mexico and being a farmer or, you know, whatever it is that your ancestors did and that we're just kind of sifting through all of those lifetimes to become whatever that is. Um, And I think it's probably like a really powerful force that when you start to search for that spiritual meaning in your life, um, it kind of feels like you're just grasping at these little straws. But you know that when you feel something that's true, like I'm a very feeling person, like I feel that that's true. I don't think we just go into nothingness. I don't think that we have a key where you do A, B, C, and D and you get somewhere good or you do A, B, and C and you go somewhere bad. It's like we all are going to something better. Which to say that I never feel like also I hate when people say, oh, she's in a better place or he's in a better place. It makes me want to puke because that's like living here is either you're living hell or you're living heaven. You know, you make this world what it is. So you've already experienced it. Like if you went through dark, evil shit on this earth, you know, there's either that looking at you looking forward to that or you're not looking forward to that. But it's weird to me to think that you have to live a specific way. Like you should be living your life exactly as you prescribe and want it to be look like every day. I think it comes from some religions where, you know, they think, well, they must be in heaven. Yeah. Like that's just what they're, they're saying. Well, it's obviously better there than it is here because it's heaven, you know, (laughs) but I think it's also just kind of saying like, they're in a much better place because this place sucks. Yeah. (laughs) You know, my life in this this place is shitty. (laughs) It's like patting someone on the back and being like, it's all going to be fine. Based on what? Nothing. You know, you're just saying that to just be nice, but it's really kind of hollow. But I think people say that at funerals a lot. Um, What, uh, do you have any uh, idea what your funeral is going to look like? Do you have any preferences? I hope that I don't have a funeral. I think that the whole, it's really macabre and self-serving um a lot like I have been very uncomfortable at funerals a lot because I feel like it's certainly they say it's for the living and it is and it's just kind of like this almost competition of who it hurts the most and maybe I'm just projecting but I I like to I like to really feel stuff and when I'm sitting with a group of people, people I don't know, I mean, I like, I mean, I get the sentiment, but I don't want a bunch of people to be sitting in pews, particularly like if I, I always know what I, I know what I don't want. <laughs> like I, I feel like some of my life has been hijacked already and I can tell that like if I was to have a early demise that it might be that there will be the slideshow and the. <laughs> the um you know the heavy morning if i could have it it'd be like a dance party obviously <laughs> because that's what i love and i would want people to hang out and dance and maybe tell stories and i mean i don't know sob in each other's arms cuz it's going to be devastating to lose me but <laughs> not uh <laughs> Not anything forced and not anything really 
planned. I don't know. But grief is such a weird thing. So I think that it's like, I don't know. What uh, what DJs would play at your funeral? <laughs> oh, God. Um, Akifin, Mark LeClaire, obviously. He's a very close friend, like family friend, and his mu- music really gets me. David Boyce, my husband. If I he's still around, of course I would like him to play. <laughs> if I could have anybody... Yeah, this is like Dream Team funeral playlist. <laughs> funeral playlist. Uh, I mean, what do you do? Because you want to have like bangers, but then, you, you know, you have to have some like esoteric, like melodic, thoughtful time. I, I'm trying to think. It's like you'd have to think about like I probably have Mark and David play primetime and um like Prefuse 73 play um you know it doesn't even have to make sense it could be like throw RJD2 in there Wagon Christ yeah. you know I'd have like early no no it's got to make sense I mean my brain works like a DJ you got to have like in the beginning I'd have some MCs who might throw some lyrics about me in there <laughs> yeah I like that. So let's work with that. That's okay. what I want. <laughs> if I have my funeral, it's going to be a big party. I'm going to have some hip-hop MCs in the beginning. Erica Badu is going to sing. The DJs are going to play. And then at 6 in the morning, it's going to be hardcore. For the, like, very end. Do you have a will? No. How come? I don't really own anything. So I I am going to do that just because if something were to happen to both David and I, that Floyd, I want Floyd, he'll he have to be placed with somebody. And I don't want that to be left to chance. So I am, I will be doing that. Do you know who that person is? Yeah. Can you say who that person is? Oh, uh, my friend Maddie Hancock will be. Um, guardian of Floyd. Does he, and he knows that? He knows. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I asked him. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to spring my son on just anybody, but yeah. Power of attorney. It's different. Is also kind of wild. Yeah, it is. I mean, it can be, it, it, that's what, that's why I ask people about wills is because I think it's, uh, something that nobody has. Nobody our age for the most part. Um, or, or anybody that I've really talked to. I mean, I know there are people that do, but, um, you tend to, th- I think you lean into it being about stuff to give away, uh, which I will ask a follow-up question on that. But uh, really, it's just about planning. It's about what you want to happen to your body and uh, what happens to, to your family and to anything that might just pertain to making your life easier. And it's, just, it's, it's planning things that you don't want to think about, really, and that's why I think a lot of people don't have it. And plus it costs money. Do you have a will? Mm-mm. So my best friend passed away. It'll be three years in July. And that was like a realization. Um, And I haven't really acted on it yet. But that really made me think, you know, when you're in the throes of looking at your own death is not the time to make those kind of decisions. Because I think 
making those decisions for her would have ex- been accepting that she that she was probably going to die. And um, I realized, like, I don't want to be in that position where, like, it just becomes too much and too scary. So then you don't do it. And then it ends up, like, at the end of your life that you might, that things happen that you might not have wanted to happen. Like you said, like, what they're going to do with your body. You know, if you say specifically, I want this to happen, I want to be, you know, buried or not buried, I want to be... Um, cremated here this is exactly where I want to be then everybody knows and there's not an argument but I think that once you leave then if you leave it to chance it's going to be to chance and what are the answers to those questions um where do I what do I want to happen with my body um ideally I want to be worm food I mean I'd like to be in one of those bags they have like the decomposition suits where they basically just zip you up and you become mushrooms. Do they put you in a grave or they just put you in a field? I don't know how it works. And who's they? <laughs> These are all good questions. And because I haven't gotten that far into it, I, I don't know them. But I just, I've always, even since I was little, been like, I want to be, I mean, my ideal was to be like put on a pyre, like the indigenous people's have done put you on like a not a pyre but a like a platform and then all the animals eat your body and then um basically all of little pieces of your soul go into those different animal entities um which is a nice thought but i'm pretty sure in 2021 that it's totally illegal to have your body just out on a platform somewhere (laughs) so i mean if i can't have a worm suit um i'd be cremated I'm sure you can have some version of a worm suit. Yeah. yeah. We just got to figure out who will do it. Yeah. And and <laughs> who would want me in their backyard? <laughs> I talked to somebody and they said that there's a service where you can get buried with a tree. Like they put you in underneath a, 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 the roots of a tree uh-huh. and then it just grows like around you and then you just kind of turn into fertilizer for the tree. I also have not looked that up, but I believe them when they said it. Hmm. That sounds great. I'd be into that. Yeah, I'm in. It sounds kind of confining, but I mean, you're surrounded by dirt anyway, and you don't know it anyway, so. Are you an organ donor? I am. Easy decision? Hard decision? Easy. Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> Although, there was this moment in time where somebody who was important to me <laughs> said it, like, made, I can't even really remember it, which is unfortunate, but, like. They had a pretty good argument against it for some reason, but I was like, okay, like, points taken, but then it was already on my driver's license, so I wasn't going to, like, go back and change it. And now I'm like, whatever it was, it wasn't important enough for me to retain it or to change my organ donor status. I can't imagine what arguments you have against it that, that were not religious. I'm sure there's something. I mean, everyone, there's an argument for literally everything. Yeah. You know, I just can't, I can't fathom one. Like, I, I'm usually pretty good at playing the devil's advocate if I need to, but like, I'm trying to think. Like, other than if you, all your organs were like bad, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't use them. Yeah. Like, if they pull out your liver and it was shit, they just throw it in the garbage. They're not going to yeah. be like, they're not going to shove it into someone and be like, he said we have to use it. <laughs> this liver's a little iffy, but yeah. you know, we'll, we'll try to work with it. You've been waiting six months. Do you want it? You, you have to. You you said you wanted it. So you have to get it. This is how this works. Uh, do you have any prized possessions? 
something that you'd like to give to your son or anybody else? If you would have asked me 10 years ago, it would have been my tracksuit collection. What constitutes a tracksuit collection? <laughs> um, I have quite a few vintage Adidas tracksuits that to me are like the hypest gear that you could wear. And I'd be handing you down not just clothing, but a lifestyle. But that's not me anymore. <laughs> I've grown uh, exponentially since then. <sighs> that's tough. Because things to me, just, I just don't, I don't care about it. I mean, stuff that you'd what you know, I, I have some books that aren't like first editions, but just mean a lot to me. I have a couple books that are inscribed from people, um, not the authors, but people that I love that would be things that would, you know, I would like to pass down to Floyd at some point. Yeah, I'm just not into stuff. I mean, I like having stuff, but it's all just... So, question for Amy of 10 years ago. <laughs> yes. If somebody were to receive this in a will that said, to so-and-so, I bequeath my vintage tracksuits, would you require the person who got it to live the lifestyle that you think came with it, or can they just have them? Do they have to wear them? Or are you going to give them instructions? I mean, I think that it's, once you put them on, you can't help it. They'll just know. They just know. <laughs> Fair enough. So I guess I would never require them to wear it. So I guess if you didn't ever put it on, because you'd have to feel it. You know, there's not, you can't put on a tracksuit and just wear it. It's not sweatpants. It's a whole different vibe. There's intent. There is intent. You're trying to say something, certainly. Do you remember the first time that you became aware of the concept of death? Like what it actually meant? I I think it was probably <laughs> when my mom brought my cat socks out in a bag from the veterinary uh, veterinarian and I real, like, realized this cat had been sick with cancer for a long time so I knew that at some point and my mom was a nurse so I was very aware that things she never minced any words as far as body parts or what things happen you know you get sick you die and it was never like that was kind of the realization like socks isn't coming back and that happens how old were you six did that translate? Did you understand that that meant people too? I think I, I think that was just like a concept that I pretty much grasped to a certain degree, you know, until it you have something that is really poignant and painful to you. That you know, I mean, it was sucked that my cat died, and I was sad, but it wasn't like run you over grief-stricken kind of pain. When did when did the run you over pain happen? Um 
when I lost my first adult dog, um, that was the first time that I was like, oh, yeah, this is what death is really like. It's not, you know, you lose people and and pets and it's it's a pain and you miss them. But like the grieving process of really having that happen is so much different. And that was, a, like, it was incredibly painful. What dog was that? Lulu. What was Lulu like? Um, she was adventure in a white and orange package. She was a shelter dog, and so she just knew that I had saved her. And so, you know, she was my soldier, but she was also my conscious, kind of. She would run back to my boyfriend at the time house and, like, force me to speak to him because I think she knew something that I didn't even know at the time myself. But it was kind of, I mean, she was really... She's a sentient being. She wasn't just a dog. She was a... I think that that's what we lose, is that... It's not just a pet. Like, people say, oh, you know, my cat died. And, you, you know, if they're an adult, you think, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> you know, not just, oh, you know, that sucks. Bummer for you. Like, no, it, like, rapes your heart out. And then losing my best friend... You know, I'd known her since I was 15. And that was like a whole nother level of pain. How did she die? Cancer. What kind? Um, pancreatic. But in, initially she was diagnosed with um, like the tip of your pancreas. So it was a lot less slow. You know, you usually hear about pancreatic cancer is pretty definite and happen. You die like within a year. But she lived for six years, I think, with cancer. But at one point, it just started to spread everywhere. And so it went from pancreas to to her lungs and uh, everywhere. Did she get any treatment? Yeah. She fought, she fought like hell for a long time. And just watching her deteriorate I went to see her like eight months before she passed away and I I mean I've just never been in the presence of that kind of pain before and just trying to figure out you know I've always been a big cheerleader and so I just never that's what I was saying about the will I ne we never had that conversation like I never asked her hey have you thought about this? And I really, that's one of the things that I regret, but I just didn't know how to talk about dying. Like, how do you talk to somebody who's probably not going to make it? Did she think of herself as dying? No. And that's, I mean, I was on board. If she wanted to talk about being in pain, I was, you know, I wanted to hear about it. If she wanted to talk about, you know, she would have mentioned you know, I think she said once about thinking maybe I should do a will at some point. But, I mean, I, I think she was in the business of living. 
you know, she was doing chemo and let three, three days before she passed away. Like I have a email of me discussing like food options because at that point she couldn't eat anymore. But there was just never a time I think where she was ever like, okay. And then I um, spoke to her husband because he was there with her the whole time. And he said that there was just a time during the last day where she was like, I'm ready. And she died. The same day. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's important to accept death? Like the inevitability of it or the existence of it? Does that help us live better or live differently? I think so. I mean, if you're afraid of something or you, you know, there's, I mean, it's just an inevitability. So what are you going to do about it? Have you ever come close to dying? Probably. But you don't know it. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like I, you know, almost bled out on a table or anything, but I've had been in compromising situations where I probably could have died pretty easily. Sketchy people. Sketchy people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is in Ohio anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nope. That's a whole different, different um, podcast. <laughs> If life expectancy were shorter, do you think you would have wised up sooner or uh, would you be reckless longer? That's an amazing question. Um, I think reckless longer. Uh, I don't know what wising up is. <laughs> I still haven't done it, actually. So, I mean, what does that mean? Um, you know, I always think, I think getting older is weirder than thinking about dying, like dealing with living, getting older, you know, I always think that I'm still young <laughs> and you, so it's just an odd thought about your younger self and you think, oh, well, if I would have been in college and I would have known this things would have been easier or if I would have made these choices but then I wouldn't be who I am a hundred percent Ulysses because for such a high work of art um, it's got such these basic human emotions and it really talks about a father and son relationship. It talks about religion. It talks about subjugated peoples it, you know, it's got, it's got everything. And when you're, you, every word is weighted and it teaches you to read because if you can read Ulysses, you can read anything. Um, James Joyce's complicated and it's just so beautifully written and when you read it like your second or your third or your fourth time and you're discovering all of these new things that you didn't see the first first time you read it it just it has a, a magic to it 
I was really thinking about, you know, that literature coming from a girl in Montana that it's teaches you things that you don't know, but can give you some kind of empathy and some kind of idea about it. So you might not know what it's like, you know, to be in the South um, during slavery, but you read, you know, Toni Morrison and you can start to feel empathy for other human beings. And it's so important. So it's like, Ulysses would be that high art, you know, that really gets you sucked in on, like, the beauty. But there's so many things that people should read. Or now you have the ability to just listen to things. And I think that that's really important, too. Do you do that? Yeah. Audiobooks? Yeah. Do you do that more than read now? Mm-mm. No. When do you choose to do the audiobook? Or do you go back and forth? Driving. Okay. Yeah, I only listen to audiobooks when I'm driving. But I would say, like, podcasts, for example, um, are such a wonderful way to, again, to gain the perspective of other people and to hear these people. Now you can actually hear people speaking about topics that you would just have no idea about. So it opens your mind up to things, which makes me think that there's just got to be a part of our population who isn't listening to podcasts. <laughs> And that you could identify them by the way that they behave. And it kind of depends on what, you know, it's like, oh, do I want to listen to something light? You know, what what am I going to do? Do I want, if I'm going to drive to the lake, then I can really dive into something that's juicy. But if I'm just, you know, going to the store, I don't want to start to listen to something that just blew my hair back so I have to sit in my car for 45 minutes and then I feel sick to my stomach and can't decide what to do with myself anymore but I think that it's just this world has really freaked me out with a lack of empathy but I think that if we were more into reading about other people's cultures and how other people live and what is happening with other people there just there can't can't be a way that we could just operate on like them not being people anymore. Do you think that l people reading less has created less empathy? Yeah. Do you think that listening to a book and reading a book are different? Yeah. I think listening to, like, listening to a book is kind of like listening to music. It, it's an engagement, but it's not like a full engagement. When you're reading a book and you, you know, you have the words and you have to like you're not going to stop and pull over and be like oh what does that word mean but when you're reading and you're like oh what does that word mean and you look it up and then you know I'm like a reader reader so I underline it and I write about it and then I think about why does that mean that way or you know or stop and then you know if you've read half the book and you realize I didn't know that that character was that important I have to go all the way back and reread it but like if I'm listening to it I'll never do that so the reading is more of an active yeah. participation with the, the subject. Yeah. Give me some advice. There's really magic in everything. And when something seems tedious or it's something that you think this is just the thing that I do, like, for example, making your bed. 
I feel like my practice of living every day starts with me making my bed. And I do it every day and it makes me feel like every blanket, this is me living, this is me living my life, this is me living my life differently than how I used to live my life. You know, it's like it puts some of the chaos at ease, but it also just feels like a practice. And when you make little things like that practice, I actually have a quote <laughs> that a woman in my one of my yoga classes gave me, and I can't quote it exactly, but it was like, you don't have to be the big ripples in the water. Like you can be that little pebble that doesn't, you know, it can be, it doesn't have to be an, a gem. It doesn't have to be a diamond or an amethyst. It can just be that little rock. And that's who you are when you meditate or that's when you sit, you know? Because for me, I'm like a big person. You know, I want everything to be shiny. I want everything to be really beautiful and fancy. So when I sit, I, when I meditated, I wanted to have all of these shooting stars and, you know, the top of my head explode. But what I really think we need to do is to be that little rock. And the cool thing is the the more that you become that little rock all that stuff you're prepared for all the stuff that just blows your hair back <laughs> and you're not i think that the times where i was like oh i'm so ready to have all of these things happen it would have been just terrifying for me do you consider things like making the bed like a meditation yeah do you also find those things to be mundane no. I think that that's something that I really started to realize within myself is that I don't, it doesn't have to be like something huge. You know, it's like how your life is perceived by others is different than how you perceive it. But it's just walking down the street to do like a small thing. You know, or having that one moment, you know, having a child and having him reach out and hold your hand or like touch your hair, you know, might not seem that big, but it's huge. And it's just like relishing all those moments. Do you think parents perceive mortality different than non-parents or life in general? Is one better than the other? Is one is one person missing something or gaining something? I don't think it's a better, worse paradigm. Um, I think it's different. Um, I think before, I think being an older parent, it gives me the perspective that is, I really do know what it was like to be an adult and have and be with, childless. Um, how old were you? So we so we don't have to do the math. How old were you when you had your child? <laughs> um, I was forty one when I had Floyd. Were there any complications? Yeah, I was in labor for four days. Um, was that and that was due to your age? That no, con- that not was just a complication. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think it was because I worked on my feet, um, and I um, also never quit training. So I was squatting three days before I had my son. And I was teaching an exercise class. And I just think all of that combined, probably with my age, you know, to a certain degree, but mostly because I just didn't stop at all. 
So, and I was terrified, not of having my son, but of being a good parent. Like I was, like birth wasn't scary. None of that was scary. Like I was like, cool, get that over with. But then like the idea of being a mom and being a good one and being a good parent was like, I just kept having major anxiety attacks from it. And so my heart rate was up I and I couldn't get it down. And all the rest of my vitals seemed normal, but they call it preeclampsia. But so that they said I probably had that, but I didn't have any of the symptoms other than my heart rate was up. And honestly, I just felt like literally like I was having the worst panic attacks I'd ever had in my entire life because, I, I mean, it's a, a big deal. <laughs> so while you're in labor in the hospital, you're fine with the process, but you're really concerned about like what's going to happen after the labor. Yeah. And that was causing problems with the labor. Yeah. I Did think you so. ever get over that while, in, during the labor? Or was it just there the whole time? Is it still there now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm st- actually like to be honest, I'm I'm still terrified of that. Like, there's days where you're like, I've got this, and then there's days where I'm like, I am totally fucking this up. And I think that's the thing about back to your question about like childless, like how you view mortality. Is um, David and I like we were driving? I was doing a book reading of my book, (laughs) of my story in January, but we were going to Sealy Lake, um, which, and the roads were awful and we were late and we were driving really slow. And I was like, we need to like speed this up. And I was thinking about what a annoyingly slow driver my husband was. (laughs) And then he just looked at me and said, I have to, I have to keep Floyd's parents alive. You know, like, I can't, like, it isn't just us anymore. We're not out in the world, like, riding jet skis, you know, <laughs> facing thunderstorms, being wild. Like, we've got a, a kid that if he loses, if we get in a car wreck and we both die, he loses his parents. And that kind of, like, was like a gut punch for me. Do you continue to think about that? Or does do you still, so, I don't want to. This may sound rude, but like at the in the moment you were thinking of yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you still find yourself doing that, or do you now have the the, the prescience to be like, I, I'm not going to worry about this because I have more, you know, as far as your safety is concerned. Say you're in a dangerous situation that maybe you know you like to still be young, but now you got to go. I'm a I'm a mom. I got to not do this. Does that come up more? No. Do you need someone else to remind you <laughs> still? I absolutely 100% need my husband to like tell me not to do stuff. And he is the exact opposite of me. So that's great. You know, I married somebody who is like, you know, that's sharp. Oh, don't jump on. Oh, you know, like it's constant. Like, whereas, you know, I'm still, <laughs> although. <laughs> The other day, I climbed on our roof to get a a, um, frisbee down from Floyd. And there was this brief moment where my feet were dangling. And I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, like, what if I fall? And that's just never really occurs to me. You know, like, I jump off cliffs and I do, you know, I do things 
and don't even think about it twice. But then I was like, oh, you know, if I fall. And it wasn't like that if I die, but it was like, what if I fall and I break my leg and then I can't be that good of a caregiver? So, but I mean, for the most part, I still at my young age of 46 need somebody to be like, Floyd's not going to have parents if we both die. (laughs) What's something you'd like to do before you die? Experientially? I would like to skydive. I mean, I know that that's like everybody, but I'd like to jump out of an airplane. Why? Have you bungee jumped? No. What about that appeals to you? I just like heights. Like I like to jump off. I've always jumped off bridges and cliffs and stuff. And I'd like to try that. Um, I love the feeling of falling. Yeah, I love it. I want... Oh, man. So many things I want to do before I die. Have you researched how to do that around here? No, but I have friends that have done it. So there's... I mean, I know if I wanted... I'll I'll do it. I have... You know, you have a bucket list. And I have definitely things that I want to do. But... I feel like I kind of check them off <laughs> as I go. So you think you'll do it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I know I will. Good. Um, how do you feel about life support? Life support? Mm. <laughs> once you're talking about skydiving. Once you skydive, and that doesn't work out so well. <laughs> um, that actually terrifies me. That's kind of my fear. Like if I was to like really deep, dive into how I feel about dying. I'm not worried about dying, really. But I'm terrified of being kept alive. I don't want to be... I don't want to... I don't want to be on a machine. I don't want to be a vegetable. I don't... And that's precisely... I mean, going back to a will, where I really need to be an advocate for myself because I hate that. (laughs) I hate the idea of that. I really even hate, like, being half a person. You know, if I, you know, my quality of life just went down completely, I don't, I'm good. I lived really great. I'm going to continue to live really great, but I don't want to be just existing. What's an example of uh, quality of life going down that you would find intolerable? (sighs) I guess I think that the worst idea would be that if I had brain activity but then that my that I couldn't communicate it like if I couldn't I think about my own hell and my own hell would be that I could hear and I could understand but I couldn't communicate that I couldn't get it out so it was just like me not being able to I think if I couldn't speak I would probably you know not just speak but if I couldn't communicate like if I couldn't write it out or communicate with my hands or body in some way but I was just taking everything in and not being able to respond to it. Do you, would you be, would you find it tolerable if you had a, cause there are forms of communication where people have such limited mobility that it's, it's basically eye movement and they've found ways to transcribe that to text and people communicate via their eyes essentially. Right. Or were you saying you'd want to physically be able to, like, speak or write? I mean, just communicate. So, I mean, if it was blinking, I 
that's I, I mean that, that counts can keep me yeah. alive then <laughs> as long as people know my opinions as, yeah as long yeah, life's worth living as, as long as i can get yes. <laughs> i'm a gemini gemini moon all i want to do is express myself how do you feel about assisted suicide i 100 percent support it um for me I mean, I, I watched somebody go through something really, really brutal and painful. And if she would have wanted that, I would have helped her. I really just feel really comfortable in the water. So, I mean, if I drowned, it'd be like I'd fight it for a while. And then, you know, at some point seems like the less violent of the three. What's your last meal? So I think I would start with a caprese salad. The tomatoes would have to be brandy wines. And I would have a ribeye steak with no bone, rare, with crab legs, king crab legs. And then for dessert, I would have my mom's huckleberry cream pie. And I would drink bubbles for the first course, a bottle of Last bottles of wine. Um, I think a Barolo for dinner and more bubbles for dessert. <laughs> Tell me a good memory. I think there was a party that. David, my husband, was playing at, and all of my friends were there, and we were all dancing, and there was just that moment where we were all so free. And that feeling, like, I carry that feeling with me sometimes, and sometimes when I'm having a hard time, or if I start to think, oh, God, I'm going to get old, and, you know, whatever, that I carry that with me, and I can always access that feeling, you know, like I can still get those shivers and just like that feeling that like we're invincible. We're all here together and this is the best night of our lives. Would you rather keep your sight or your hearing? Hearing. I mean, because I love music. You live for it. <laughs> Who are you listening to now? Um, so I've been listening to Andra Day. She did that uh, Billie, Holiday. Billie Holiday biopic. Mm. Um, and her voice is just pure. I mean, it's just a, like a voice for the time. You know, it makes you feel some type of way about the past, but the past is very much the present, you know. Uh, I'm listening to a mix by a British drum and bass DJ that I love. It's the summer heater. <laughs> it's got raga. It's got drum and bass. It's got house. 
What's the DJ's name? Sully. New ASAP Rock is good. Real good. Um, and he talks about magic, which I'm always down for. Why do you think astrology is important? You can basically figure out how you navigate the world, but also how others navigate the world pretty easily by figuring out where, you know, if you know their three, the big three, you know, your sun sign, your moon sign, and your rising sign kind of give you an indication of how you're always going to operate. I'm a Pisces sun sign. My moon is in Gemini, and I'm a Libra rising, which says a whole lot about me. And everybody can prescribe or believe whatever they want to believe, but for me, it's just made a lot of sense. And it's not like the everyday, you know, oh, what is Pisces feeling today? But it's really like these are reasons why you act a certain way, you know, there's different houses that control different things. And, you know, it's very scientific when you look at it. And I, I like to look at, have some kind of basis for that. And I mean, just from personal experience, I, I mean, I could probably tell most people what, what they are, how they're going to act. I could be like, oh, like at this point, I can have conversations, know somebody for a while and be like, are you a Capricorn? (laughs) So all those things are determined by when a person was born? Yeah. So you could, would you be able to know one of your friends for a long enough period without knowing those things and know what they are? Like, could you, like you say you didn't know when they were born, would you be able to guess what all those those three things are with any kind of accuracy? I don't think so. I, I think I could get sun sign pretty well. Um, but the moon sign, because it's like your subterranean self, it's like... Um, Harder what, to pinpoint. Uh, what you're inside, which a lot of people don't show you. So, um, And then your rising is like what you present, which you could probably like get. Yeah, I think I could get people's rising signs a little bit, um, but not not totally. But my friend Hannah probably could. <laughs> What's a skill you have that you can pass on to your son? Well, um, I'm trying to teach my son to box right now because I think that it's just a super, I think it's really important. I think that martial arts in general is just really important. And um, I'm just lucky enough to have, you know, not like a really wide knowledge in it, but enough of a basis to, you know, I can't wait till he gets a little older so I can throw mitts with him because I feel like being a mom and being the kind of mom where we can have a conversation where he's being an asshole and I can be like, all right, let's go throw mitts in the backyard. You know, like it's not just, I mean, martial arts just isn't hitting stuff or kicking stuff. There's a lot of different disciplines and all of them teach you different things, you know, but I want to get him started like at home learning how to do that and also because i think when you know how to throw hands you don't do it as much how did you learn how to box i fought a lot (laughs) and then i took like a lot of aerobic kickboxing classes and that's kind of how like i never had any formal training um and then i trained with people that i met through my aerobic kickboxing classes that were more martial art like muay thai based but i'm still nowhere near like i'm not a fighter and i'm not i don't know but i could teach 
him to do things. <laughs> What's the first lesson you give to people? What's the first thing you would teach a person? Uh, keep your hands up. I mean, I, in my classes that I teach, I would, I mean, I would prefer that if you're not going to do anything else, just keep your hands up, you know, because if you're not ready, you're, you're screwed. Um, and that's, you know, a really good thing because we have a lot of women and I think that learning how to fight and especially, you know, to defend yourself is really important because just to protect yourself. And if you're, you know, if you're not ready, <laughs> you're, you know, there a lot of things can happen. So keeping your hands up is the first thing. Then the second thing is learning to throw your jab. <laughs> By the way, you're a fucking Aries to a T. <laughs> what does that mean? It means that you're, you'll play the devil's advocate. And if you have any chance to do it, you're going to do it. Like Floyd is an Aries and I didn't want him to be. I didn't want to raise a son that was a fucking Aries. So I'll say, those are stars. And I'll go, no, they're stars. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? He's not wrong. See? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so do you think, based on uh, astrology or the idea of astrology, that who we are is predetermined? Our, our innate self? I think to a certain degree, yeah. I don't think that that's totally true. Um, I think that there, you know, there's a lot of things that that kind of dictate us. You know, it's gonna sound all woo woo, but you know, it's like past lives, um, ancestral stuff, things that your family went through. You know, those are all things that you carry with you as you and when you're born. All that stuff kind of comes in with you and. It's kind of interesting if you look at my birth chart. Um, so you'll see like the trajectory of me being born and you can see it because it's like your chart will be exactly where all the planets were when you were born. And then the offshoot of that is like my moon, which is a Gemini moon. It, there's two planets there and they're both in, in Gemini. And so, and those are my parents, like the adopted parents. So not speaking to... Uh, this the uh, astrologer that looked at my chart and her not knowing anything about me, she said, oh, your soul decided that you didn't want to be raised by those parents. Your soul decided to be raised by those parents. And so to me, she didn't know. She just looked at my chart and said, that's what happened. You know, so I mean, to to me, yes, I think that some of it is predetermined. Like I I was born into this world and whatever happened, you know, but we have a lot of choice. I really, I'm grappling with that idea right now because, you know, we get, we're born with generational, generational trauma and you carry things in your body that from your family and your family, you know, passed down and things that happened to you a long time ago. And it's kind of like, how do you shake that? Especially when, you know, for me, it really comes up to sh like a lot of social justice issues about you know, racial equality. And, you know, if you're carrying on your back people that went through atrocities that other people couldn't even imagine, you know, how do you, I mean, that predetermined state, how do you, how do you change that? And, I mean, 
that's kind of off the topic, but it's also like to me very, it's just like what I've been grappling with. I mean, what do you, you know, what was decided for you? I mean, you're decidedly like born into generational wealth, for example. I mean, I really think about that. My family had money. I will pass down money to my son and he will have opportunities because of that. Period. Is there is there anything about yourself that you'd like to change but you can't? How much I like sugar? <laughs> I, I I mean, I think that the things that I really have like I don't like about myself are things that are trauma related and are things that I can change. I mean, and it is all rooted in like something else. Nothing is what it is. You know, that's the basics of like every psychology in the world you know i mean why do i'm just a eater period (laughs) i eat when i'm sad i eat when i'm happy i eat you know when things are going just medium you know i just but it all all stems for i think that everything can become a negative or a positive and i don't think that there's anything about you that you can look at yourself and say, I don't like that about myself and not be able to change it. I don't. I think that you can change everything. <laughs> but do you want to and would you be willing to do it? What are some things you know to be true? I know that dancing is medicine. Friends are family. I think we could go back to that, that there's nothing about you that you can't change. Um, and it's all Beatles and bullshit, but I mean, love is the answer. (laughs) I mean, it is. If we all took some time out to, to really give a shit about other people, just 10 seconds, things would change. Empathy. Empathy. I mean, I could beat it over the head. I could talk about it all the time but I feel like if you stopped and thought I wonder what that guy's going through instead of that dickhead just cut me off conversations change what's something everyone should try but may not know the benefits of (laughs) so I think I think everybody should be required to work in the service industry for a year (laughs) I don't, you know, it's it's not like maybe you should try it, but I think everybody should should have a, that experience. I think that you should be at the whim of another human being for a year and see, you know, what, what are the Israelis called? They have to be in the army. Uh, man, it's like mandatory military service. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there should be a mandatory year of service industry work for everybody. Again, with the empathy, but that teaches you how to treat another human being because you look at it and think, I never want to be treated the way these people treat me. And I think that people should learn how to punch other people. (laughs) So they don't? So they don't, yeah. But they can. Yeah. I really do think that once you get trained to fight, that you don't fight as much. I mean, that, and that is not a blanket, like that is not monolithic. There's definitely many examples of that not being the truth but i think for a lot of people when you feel safe you don't feel like you have to fight all the time 
at war to maintain this standard, but like you become part of a larger system that doesn't really care about you. Like we feel very important as citizens, but like until you actually serve and have to be a part of a, like a literal cog in this wheel, it's, it just gives you a different perspective. And I used to think it should be mandatory, but now less so it's, it's, the further I get away from it, the less important it is, it seems to me. But it's definitely eye-opening. I mean, I think if somebody wants to try it, it's only four years. I mean, it's those four years get shorter the older I get. I used to always rebel against that idea and think that people in the military, like, I just had a really negative idea about it. In high school, though, <laughs> I remember going to the recruiter and I was going to I was going to join. And um, I, I was this close and ended up like backing out at the very last minute. But there, I mean, I really did look at it and there were, I look at people now as I get older and I, I, I think that you might be right. (laughs) I mean, forcing anybody to do anything is a little, you know, you don't. The military, I I like your service industry answer because it's not you're not part of something that is con- often conducive to evil <laughs> when you do that. I mean, you're just literally putting yourself in someone else's shoes so you know what it feels like. It is, it's kind of forced empathy, which is less uh, admirable, I suppose, but still, it's fucking empathy, you know? It's, yeah. it's, you, you see what it is, and, you've, and so the point being, when you're on the other side, you treat them with more respect. Yeah. When I say people should join the military, it doesn't have anything to do with empathy. It's really just to widen your perspective of the world. Like it being in the military is like, I would equate it to being in prison. Like we have an idea of what prison is like, not saying it, it is prison, but like we have an idea of what prison is like, but you don't know until you're there. Yeah. Like oh, you yeah. have no concept of what a person who's been in prison yeah. feels like, how they see the world. And that doesn't mean it's a good idea to go, but it would definitely broaden your perspective <laughs> if you were there. I think everybody should go to prison for a year. Everyone should do at least <laughs> a, a, a two year bid. Two year bid. That's yeah. good. Are you happy how things have turned out? <laughs> uh, today or in, your in life? general? Oh, yeah. I couldn't be happier. I mean, I think about um, all of the things, you know, I everything I've ever really thought, oh, I want to do that. I think that this job would be cool. Like, I want to work there. That would be fun. And then I envision it and I feel it and I see how it feels to be in that job. I look at what I'm wearing in that job. And then a year later, I have that job. You know, so, I mean, it's a dream come true. Is there anything you've been envisioning lately? Yeah. I've always wanted to be like a therapist. But it's always been like a a really far out dream, and it also was like a lot of school schooling, and just a lot. You know, I never really had. Sorry if you're listening, all the therapists I had in growing up, but I never had good therapists. It always felt really hands off. I always felt like I was in the woods, like shouting at, you know the the trees while they like nodded their heads and you know and so I couldn't find a I couldn't find where that would fit so I go to all the school and then I I I don't become what I want and now I think I know how I can be 
I mean, it's going to require a lot of training and a lot of teaching and whatever, but it's going to be what I want it to look like, not what Spock and Freud and all of these. I feel like we've all been so informed by things that sometimes we have this idea of how everything should always be operated, like all the operations it should go by. And I feel like this in 2021, why is it it's like this is the like hasn't been a better time for us all to create our own reality. And what does that look like? You know, what does this world look like to us? Because guess what? We had a pandemic that like decimated all like killed all kinds of people. We watched our like social structures just fall apart. And there's these people that are just holding on so tightly to what they used to know because it's frightening to look at what could happen, you know, and that's the future. And what does that future look like? And to me, like, I'm kind of like, well, what do I want? And for me, you know, it looks like we start to get rid of all of those systems because it doesn't serve us anymore. Like, we need to start treating everybody better, period. And then once we start to do that, we need to start working together. And how does that look, you know? And for me, it's like, I want to incorporate feeling strong and reading books and talking to people and making people feel empowered because I have people in my life that make me feel like that. And it all looks different. You know, I have physical trainers that get me to places with my body that make me feel like I'm invincible. And then I have mind trainers that work with my brain and teach me all kinds of things, you know, that like is making my brain stronger. And I want to be one of those people too. I want to be one of those people that holds people's hands and says, we don't have to deal with that fear and that bullshit anymore. We can move forward into a different life where we decide what we want. What's the first step to becoming that person? Like, and obviously you're mentally prepared, but like, (laughs) what's the first like actual, I need to take this step to this new path. I think I'm doing it. I'm I like I said I I've been working with a person my life coach who I was introduced to by my very best friend Maddie who will if I die be the father of my son assuming David's not still Well around. I mean yeah <laughs> or, or you know I mean I am totally okay with them raising them him together my I, two dads Yeah my two dads <laughs> um I'm working on my tra- like old trauma because that's like once you get rid of that kind of stuff then you're ready you're ready to go forward. And I think that there's some of those things, you know, it's like your imposter syndrome, which is like one of my worst things. You know, I'm like, I'm not good at this. I'm not good enough for this. I mean, that was my thing in college. You know, I would write a paper and I would write the same sentence and the same paragraph. And I'd read the paragraph and be like, I know somebody said that better than me. And I'd erase it. And then it'd be like an hour to when I had to turn my paper in and I just crank out some ridiculous bullshit and hand it in because it had to be in or I didn't hand it in at all because I felt like I wasn't good enough and they would you know but if I would have taken the time and I wouldn't have just edited myself and freaked out about it like it might not have been the best paper but it would have been my paper and it wouldn't have been some trauma related somebody's voice in the back of my head that was saying you can't do that because you're not good enough so what I'm doing is erasing all that and I mean getting woo-woo again, but I'm erasing that from everybody, you know, not just me, but my family. And 
it's kind of cool because I have these conversations with my coach. I come in, I talk to my mom who watches my son, and we have these conversations and I ask her things like, you know, what happened in your life? How, how did that make you feel? What did the, you know, where, and she's telling me these stories that I've never heard and things that I, I'm finding out. And I mean, the power in us telling our story and not being ashamed of that anymore, like shame keeps you in a place. And so what I'm doing is getting rid of that so that I can move forward without that. Because I owe it. You know, every generation has worked their asses off. And they didn't look up. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have time, like I said, to just like relish making your bed. Because they were like, I'm fucking making my bed so I can get to fucking work so I can do this. And for me, it's like I have been afforded a luxury. And that luxury comes with responsibility. And my responsibility is to make my bed and think I'm making my bed. I'm taking this sheet. This is my meditation. I am putting my shoes on. This isn't what I have to do. This is what I get to do. Anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> oh, my favorite movie. Yeah. I still don't know. <laughs> favorite record? Favorite artist? I mean, just a couple off the top of my head. I mean, Erica Badu. Um, because that's something Stevie Wonder, Otis Redding, you know, are all things that like when I need to put something on, like if I'm depressed, I put on Stevie Wonder and I dance around my house and things change or I put it in my car. There's just something about soul music, period, that just like, I mean, it's the purpose. That's why they it exists. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know about favorite movies, but. Eddie Murphy Delirious is, like, one of my favorite things. It's, like, the thing that, like, if you're in the the throes of, like, really thinking your life sucks and you're, like, I can't, I can't get out of this, you just watch Eddie Murphy in Delirious and you, it's so funny and it just releases, like, all the toxins in your body. So I would say Delirious and I love... I love period like I love Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I do. Um the like the Hobbit the Lord of the Rings, you know, I read it and then to see it like come to life and you know have those characters and um it was just a time like a period in my life too, you know, when they all came out that I can always revisit if I watch them and they're the kind of thing where you know you have to have a time period. You need to be able to just chill out. And the soundtrack and just how expansive it makes you feel. You know, you just look at New Zealand and you're like, Whoa, and you're transported into this like world that, you know, and it's very eco-conscious <laughs> on top of it, you know? I mean, it's not my, it's not my favorite piece of film, but it's like something that I revisit over and over again. I'm trying to think about the thing that I love the most. I mean, there's so many good, like, to rank those things best ever. You know, like, your, what are your top desert, like, deserted on an island books? Five, top five. I feel like I would want something that I had not read. Like, I, I would, 
I would think more practically, I think like like Ulysses. Like Ulysses, <laughs> like Infinite Jest, like Shake any kind of Shakespeare thing that I could really dig into and read multiple times because it takes a lot to like get the meaning out yeah. of. Um I would take something I hadn't read because it, the, the question is funny because it's like, what do you want to bring with you that you're already super familiar with? Yeah, right. It's like, I, actually, I want to be entertained while I'm stuck there. So I think I'm going to bring something that I don't know. So <laughs> I'd probably bring some, you know, Infinite Jest is like one of those ones that's just like a checklist. Tons of people buy it. Nobody reads it. Right. You know, and yeah. I'd be like, well, if I'm going to island, I'm going to fucking read it. It'd probably just sit there like by a coconut or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, Ulysses is another one. And that, that was, I really like that answer too because um, I remember reading it and being like, this is a whole other brainwave of like reading. Like you have to be on a fucking level to read this. And I just wasn't there. I was like, I can't, I can't, I'm not in a, I remember reading it being like, I just don't have the headspace for this. Yeah. You know, and you have to be there and it's, it's a, it's a challenge, which. I know. wonder kind of, you know, what people are going to look like, you know, because I, that's what I appreciate about music is that you'd have to dig for it. Like you couldn't just buy your genre, you know? When you say what people are going to look like, what do you mean? I mean, I just don't know how, I mean, I, how it is even going to be, you know, like, I don't know what it's like to like, not, you know, I mean, I, part of the reason why I married my husband is because he told me that back in the day, he would go get up early and go to buy hip hop tapes at um, budget tapes and records. And I was like, I love this man. Like, I love this man. And I love music, di you know, crate diggers. And I know that that's still like a thing, but it's so accessible to be like, oh, I'm into, you know, freaking goth, prairie goth from, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, from a specific genre in Sweden where they do, I mean, it's the only pure stuff, you know? And before you would, you might know that, but I mean, you would really have to work for it. How important is taste to a relationship? Do you find you have the same taste as your husband? Uh, yeah. Or that you like his taste? Yeah. I think enough. I think that you have to have, I mean, I don't, again, I don't know because I've never been in a relationship where my taste and the person that I was with were totally different. Um, but I mean, that's the reason why I liked him in the first place was that he, I mean, for me, you have to have good taste in music. Like I have dated people who didn't have good taste in music and though I would not be with them. I would break up with them because I was like, I can't, I can, can't communicate with you. Everything is illuminated. Yes. That book is so good. That is probably, if I had to say a favorite book that still holds true today, it would be that. And I broke up with a girl who said she didn't like that book. <laughs> yes. So See, thank you. Thank you for I that. I think so. Like there's like that moment in a conversation I have with people, even if it's just to be friends. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what kind of music do you listen to? And if they say, I don't know, I like everything. I'm like, nope, we cannot be yeah. friends. And we can't. <laughs> it sounds corny. But love really is the answer. I know I've said that. I said it. I said it again, but I'll say it again. When you feel stressed out, dance. When you feel angry, love a little more. And let that, let that love extend to yourself first and then love everybody else. Don't, like, let it all go out to the world. Like, hold some of that in and love you. Because once you start doing that, then that will just emanate out to everybody 
even if you didn't want it to. Thanks, Amy. Yeah. Death is Coming is a 28 Razors and Ill Embassy production. Music by Wade Maid. It was edited, written, and conducted by me. Thank you for listening. Thank you.